Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today we'll be talking to the authors of A Seat at the Table, Congresswomen's Perspectives on Why Their Presence Matters. The book is published by Oxford University Press. I have two of the authors here today, Kelly Dittmar and Kira Sanbomatsu. The other author, Susan Carroll, isn't with us today, but we have the pleasure to talk with Kelly and Kira. Kelly, are you there? I am here. Wonderful. And Kira, you're there as well. I'm here. Good. Let's uh, let's just hear a little bit about yourself. Uh, Kelly, would you start and just briefly de- uh, describe yourself? Sure. I'm an assistant professor of political science at Rutgers University, Camden, and a scholar here at the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers, which we call COP. Uh, and uh, my research is on gender and political institutions. I've done some work on gender and campaigns, uh, as well as this new work on gender and Congress, and uh, also manage a project here at COP called Gender Watch 2018, which looks at gender dynamics in this year's election. Fantastic. And Kira, maybe you can introduce yourself and, and maybe also your, your co-author who's not with us, Susan Carroll. Terrific. So I'm a professor of political science here at Rutgers, New Brunswick. I'm also a senior scholar at the center that Kelly just mentioned, the Center for American Women in Politics. Um, and most of my research has focused on gender, race and American politics in some way in terms of public opinion, elections, political parties. Um, and our Co-author Susan Carroll is professor of political science and women's and gender studies here in New Brunswick, and she is also a senior Fantastic. scholar. Fantastic! Uh, I've enjoyed the book so much, and, and there's so much timely stuff in it. Uh, Kira, I wonder if I can start with you, and and just note that this this was a massive undertaking. Uh, I wonder if you could describe just how many members of Congress you interviewed, and how you carried out this this major data collection. Yes, it was it was a very big project. It was a project um, of the center, and we were very fortunate to have funding from the Hunt Alternatives Fund um, to make a huge study like this possible. Um, it was a whole team effort, so we worked alongside COPS director Debbie Walsh, uh, graduate research assistant Kathy Weiniger, and um, staff support. We were in the field for over a year getting these interviews, so uh, and we 
we just feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to speak to so many women. We saw interviews with all of the women serving in the 114th Congress. And we were very fortunate because of their passion for politics, their interest in the topic, that we were able to interview 83 of them, uh, which is over three quarters of the women who are serving in the 114th. We talked to them usually in person um, for about a half an hour. Some of the interviews were longer, some shorter. And we approached this project to try to understand their view, what they were seeing from Capitol Hill. And we wanted to know how they uh, navigate what has become a very partisan environment. This was a study that revisited earlier research by the center that had done a similar project, interview project with women on the Hill, except American politics has changed quite a bit since that study, which was several decades ago. Um, and we're just grateful that so many women shared their views with us about what it's like to be a woman serving in Congress today. Yeah, the Kelly, the um, the the, uh, the scale of this is is quite significant. And um, towards the beginning of the book, you don't focus um, simply on those that are elected. You also have some discussion of uh, the barriers to entry. Um, I recently talked with Nick Carnes about his book on working class candidates, and he found that one of the chief barriers uh, is that working class people are just rarely asked to run for office. What do you find about the barriers to women running for Congress? And are they are they similar to what what Nick found uh, or are they different in some way? Sure. We you know, what was very interesting was that we didn't ask any questions in our interviews specifically about running for office. Right. We were really focused on what's your perception of the difference it makes once you're here and the experience in office. And so why we included in the book their discussion of the barriers to office was because it did come up relatively frequently among them, um, women saying things like, you know, it was actually harder to get here than it is to be a woman in Congress once you're here. Um, and so that really pointed us to the fact that there are these barriers that we should speak to um, that really should ground the book to understand that the women we're talking to don't represent the larger pool of women that could be here um, and that the women in Congress would like to see here. And so, you know, drawing on other work from uh, Kira and Sue and from uh, the center and others, you know, there are a number of, of barriers that do get in the way. Um, but one of the, the biggest challenges, in addition to the structural different structural networks that might be different for support for women, um, are also the different decision-making calculus that sometimes women make um, in running for office. And so what Kira and Sue's book found, for example, was, you know, women are less likely to be self-starters, um, to decide to run. They also see the challenges of being a woman candidate and that may, you know, shape their willingness to, to put their name in the hat. And so there are a lot of more specifics um, in regard to what those challenges are. But I think what the point of the women um, in our book, what the point they were trying to make was, look, we get through a very hard process of running for office, specifically as women. And so once we're here, we can take on any of the challenges that are thrown our Way. Now, one of the interesting findings is about uh, conservative women members of Congress 
And, and one of the things that, that they seem to feel is that they're left out, especially by the media. Uh, this raises several questions related to, to party and, and polarization. So, so, Kira, I wonder what your interviews reported to you about the increasing partisan polarization in Congress and how that relates to their, their work in Congress. The partisanship question is really interesting. We went into this project with the knowledge that women in Congress had helped resolve the government shutdown a few years back. And so we're very interested to see how women see partisanship and whether they think women are more bipartisan, because that's an idea that's out there in the in the news. Um, Interestingly, a majority of the women we interviewed think that women are more bipartisan than their colleagues. So it's significant that they think women tend to be more bipartisan. Although that also means that not all women saw it it that way. A few women, for example, said, I'd like to say that, but I don't see that. Um, But returning to the main point, it, it intrigued us that women felt this way, and then we wanted to know why, what explains that situation. Um, and some of the theories about why that is were very interesting to us. So, for example, some of the women have been able to develop personal relationships across the aisle with other women through single-sex spaces on Capitol Hill. So there are dinners that the women senators have been having for a number of years across party lines on a regular basis where they get to know each other on a personal level. And nowadays in Washington, that's not easy to do all the time. We also see women joining, many women joining together in a softball game where women in Congress play against women members of the media. And that's on a bipartisan basis. And so they get out there, they practice together, and not always, but often that can create personal relationships that make it easier to work together on legislation, for example. There are also some examples of travel that women have done together across party lines. So there are a number of ways that women, because they're women, have been able to work together in ways across party lines, not easy to do today. Other, oh, I was going to say, so, but, and so that's one set of um, mechanisms for that work, but I just want to note that there's also, and I'll let Kelly speak to this point. um, Some of the women we interviewed thought that women have a different work style than men that they bring into the process and that that helps drive some of this ability to work together. Kelly, do you want to um, yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the things that's that's interesting in terms of commonalities is them saying, you know, we come here to get things done. Um, and so in order to do that, uh, we also try to find ways to work across party lines so that the focus is on achievement over ego or ambition, you know, trying to to protect yourself politically. Of course, they do that. Um, but that um, to our point earlier about the difficulties in getting there. You know, if we took on the difficulties of getting here, we sure as heck want to get things done once we're here. And that often means looking to somebody across the aisle, uh, man or woman, uh, so that we can try to, to push some policy through. Now, Kelly, women in the Senate who you spoke to seem to suggest that sexism is not the norm today. 
what did they say exactly about this issue? And, and was this the same perception among those that you interviewed in the House of Representatives? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the women in the Senate in particular noted the power that they have as senators and how that can sort of defer um, or prevent some of the more traditional experiences of sexism that women find in workplaces across the country. You know, so I I think Barbara Boxer makes a comment about um, folks crossing her. You know, sure, you can cross me or discount me as your colleague, but then when you need my vote, um, I'm not going to be as uh, supportive. And so she sort of says they do that at their own risk or at their own peril. And I think that's what important part changes their answers to whether or not they have experiences of sexism in the institution. Also, the women who have been there for a while, somebody like a Senator Feinstein uh, shared with us that, look, it's gotten better over time, right? These these institutions do change and they change in part because there are more women here. Um, and so now women are 23 members of the U.S. Senate compared to, you know, four or five or six when uh, Senator Feinstein was first entering the Congress. Uh, excuse me, the Senate. And so it does push their male colleagues also to be uh, more respectful and prevent some of those traditionally gendered experiences. It doesn't mean that the women still don't talk about sexism or at least experiences that differ from their male counterparts. For example, having uh, a male counterpart take credit for something that they did or an idea that they brought to the table. Also a sense that they have to be better um, than their male counterparts to sort of prove themselves. Uh, That, to your point about the differences between Senate and the House, I think we did hear that more from House members um, who said, you know, we still have to work harder um, and we still have to be more prepared. And I think, interestingly, that's consistent as well with other research that shows women, you know, doing more work, especially in terms of constituency work, um, to, again, make that case that, look, we're here, we're doing the job, and we're more than qualified. And unfortunately, you know, you have women who've been in Congress for a decade or more sharing that with us, that they still sometimes feel that need to, to prove themselves um, and prove that they, they belong in this institution, in this arena. Now, now, Kira, Black women members of Congress who you spoke with argued that they brought a different perspective rather than a different agenda to Congress. Uh, I wonder what they what, what they meant by this exactly uh, when, the, when they framed things this way, and if this was also true for other racial and ethnic groups that, that are represented among members of Congress. So what does this mean uh, to have a different perspective rather than a different agenda? This was very... Um, important because we're seeing a record number of women of color in Congress. So one of the things that we wanted to know going into the pro- this project was how they see their role and whether this is a question we pose specifically, whether there is a distinctive agenda that, say, Black women bring to Congress or Latina women or Asian American women. And the answer, as you just noted, had more to do with perspectives. So the idea was, it's not that there is a specific policy, you know, a three-point policy agenda that they come into the institution with, so much as they are approaching all issues and everything that comes before them as a member of Congress through the lens of being a Black woman in Congress or representing, you know, most of these um, legislators are representing diverse districts 
in terms of race, ethnicity. Um, you have Latinas um, also representing districts that are diverse and maybe have a higher immigrant population. So we know that these women feel that the the intersection of gender with race provides perspectives that aren't maybe typical, aren't the norm in maybe how a typical member of Congress approaches issues or how they have been approached in the past when the institution was less diverse. And so they see their viewpoint as transcending across issues, which we thought was an important point. And if I could jump in, one example that I think speaks to this, not specifically for black women, but, you know, in the Senate, Maisie Hirono in the book talks about um, the fact that she was coming to debates over comprehensive immigration reform, not just as a woman concerned about family reunification and, and those issues that are typically sort of connected to women as caregivers, but that she also was the only uh, immigrant in the conversation um, being had at the Senate at the time, um, who could also understand more um, very specifically to our own experience um, and bring that perspective to the conversations that were being had at a very sort of policy level, but she could bring a personal perspective on that issue. And so if you think about the multiple identities that women are bringing to any issue, it's really the combination and the intersection thereof, not just that they're a woman, but that that they are a woman who also brings a distinct life experience um, in many ways. Now, um, Kelly, you, you've um, already, uh, you've both mentioned uh, almost in passing some some congressional uh, legends, even if, if they haven't been in the Congress that long. And I, and I do have to ask you, because this is this, the opportunity simply to, to speak with, with uh, these women must have been remarkable itself. Um, did you have a, a favorite interview, uh, one that just stuck out to you for either what the member of Congress said uh, in, in, in sort of the, the content or, or just the fun of getting the chance to sit across from uh, someone who is, um, you know, uh, is, is in the history books uh, in, in their role uh, in, in the Senate or the House? And so um, on a sort of lighter note, is, is there one that stood out to you? You know, we'll get in trouble if we pick favorites, but I do think, you know, there were a lot of, um, I'll I'll sort of speak to it more as sort of experiences. One, obviously interviewing Senator Feinstein as somebody who has been there for a long time um, was for me um, rewarding, but also because she sort of brought, um, when I was speaking to her, brought us sort of into the office, shared with us um, um, some gifts she had been given about women's leadership, and I think was really um, invested in this conversation as she has been on issues of gender equity for a long time. So that was a great experience. But also, Grace Napolitano uh, made actually beans and salsa and tortillas for my interview with her. So that was a whole other level of rewarding experience. But just, you know, the down-to-earth nature that many of these women came to the interviews with, um, they were very much willing to to do the interviews and share their experiences. And that's on both sides of the aisle. Um, I also interviewed 
Virginia Fox, who's known as very conservative and particularly, you know, on issues related to gender, um, is not somebody who's often pointed to as a champion. Uh, but she spoke very, you know, really offered a lot of important perspective to our project and also just did so in a way that was very welcoming. So I think the other point of this is to be sure that you are speaking to all types of women when you're trying to tell the story of women in Congress. Now, you'd only get trouble if I asked the other question, which is who is your least favorite to interview, which is the question I won't ask. But Kira, what I did want to ask you um, is is to, to step back from uh, this. This is a book about the, um, uh, you did the interview primarily in 2014. But I wonder if you could step back a bit and, and uh, sort of place this into the conversation we're having now. And, and think about if you were to, you know, redo this, these interviews in 2018 amidst the um, Senate hearings that are that have gone on and the votes that are maybe happening today or over the next couple of days. Um, what do you make about the change over time uh, of, of uh, women uh, members of Congress and their perspectives in the past versus today and looking ahead to the future? Where's where uh, what's the what's the driving narrative here? that uh, you took away from the book? I think we knew coming into the project that the role of women in Congress depends on who those women are at that moment in history. We've seen changes over time in how many women they're serving, what parties they're serving from, their racial background, their ideological background. And each time we look at a Congress, we know that we're at a historical time point. You know, decades ago, those women were more likely to be trailblazers. They were even smaller in number. Um, women at that decades ago were advised to not run as women. And so we knew that in the 114th Congress, we were looking at a specific moment in time. The claims that we were making were going to be time bound to some extent. But we also knew that there was there are sufficient reasons to believe it makes a difference having women in the process. And of course we wanted to know what the women said firsthand about that, but what they said confirmed our expectations, which is that they believe that in the 114th Congress, it really mattered to have women at the table for many different reasons in terms of um, the influence that they had on their colleagues, the issues that they were raising that maybe haven't gotten as much attention in the past and the process of politics and the importance of showing male colleagues that women can lead, showing voters that women can lead and need to be in both chambers in positions of authority. So we fast forward to today, I think a lot, you know, we couldn't have foreseen um, the results of the 2016 election and kind of the gender controversies that are happening right now on Capitol Hill. But I think it, our book sheds light on the dynamics that we're seeing today, because a lot of the themes that we identify in our project have to do with um, diversity of women's experiences, differences among women across party lines, and the uh, underrepresentation of women, particularly on the Republican side. Most of the women in Congress are Democrats; they still are today, and you know we we see that in terms of let's say the Senate Judiciary Committee today on the Republican side, the dearth of Republican women. Um, and I think what we've seen is that it's important to have, and that we're seeing today, is the importance of having women's voices in the process, women voters, women activists, women legislators. And so I think the experiences of the women in Congress that were shared with us 
really speak to the passion that women in Congress bring and the significance that they attribute to their presence. Again, the book is uh, A Seat at the Table, Congresswomen's Perspectives on Why Their Presence Matters. Uh, The book is published by Oxford University Press. Kelly and Kira, thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.